to another episode of First Strike. Uh, before we start the show, I just want to give a little mention to our sponsor, FaceToFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. In today's show, we're going to go through a whole gamut of topics, legacy, modern, and of course, the, the ever-controversial article posted by MagicDeprive.com by Daniel Fournier that's garnered 177 comments and it keeps rising at all. It's kind of insane. Uh, we got Brian Vince in the house. Brian, the fans have missed your voice uh, on First Strike. They've, got, they've been able to get their fix on the game podcast, but uh, they want to hear you rant about stuff on First Strike. How's it going, my man? I don't believe you, KYT. You can just tell me that you missed me, bro. It's okay. I'm, I'll show up on the show if it's just you missing me. I don't think anyone else has even for a second been like, man, you got to bring that cranky American guy back. No, it's just you. Be honest. I'm here now for you. I, I might, there. Outside of Barry, I might be like number two on that Brian list. So of lining up for Brian to get back on the show. I've got Vince. Uh, Miss Vince in a while. He's, he's been busy with a project that we'll talk about it at some point yeah. in the show. That's probably some point on the show. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be back, though. I missed it for sure. I'm sure no one has. If we're talking about not being missed, I'm definitely up on that list. I think we can go to the comments section of a few videos to find that out. But <laughs> I'm, I'm here anyway, everyone. Deal with it. All right. And our special guest is none other than awesome Canadian judge and eternal weekend legacy topic competitor, Seth Black. How's it going, Seth? Going pretty good. Um, Still, still riding the wave from from uh, second place uh, at Eternal Weekend. Um, SCDDC didn't quite go as planned, but um, still feels good to to get uh, performance like that. Well, you 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 weren't able to make the show last Monday, and you called your shot to to maybe come on as the SCG champion. Sadly, it didn't work out for you, right? Not quite, but. Uh, I'm still here. <laughs> uh, we had, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. We had no problem. I, I really appreciate that you took the time to come on. We had Matthew Dick, Dilks on last week, and he did pretty well at the tournament. And uh, I think he played against you, right? And, and you defeated him uh, during the Swiss. Yeah, uh, last week at Eternal Weekend, um, as he mentioned, um, played against him. He was actually I was uh, his second loss uh, in that tournament, and. So the, the Lands versus Eldrazi matchup is, it's not very good for Eldrazi. Um, but one of the things that Lands runs into is sometimes they draw the wrong half of your their deck. And when Eldrazi, like I, I saw that I needed to take an aggressive line and it ended up panning out. Um, I've actually had relatively good success against Lands recently. So um, I wasn't actually as afraid as I used to be. Uh, how much experience do you have in Legacy? Have you been playing it for a while? I noticed in your Eternal Weekend little quick interview that you know, your top performances include like a fifth place at SCG Worcester uh, this year. So uh, how, how are enough, you in Legacy? Funny enough, uh, not, to, not to sort of downplay that, but uh, uh, they actually, uh, Card Titan got that wrong. It was 15th at Worcester. Um, playing Legacy for, oh goodness, six or seven years now at this point. Um, I first got into the format right at the end of 2010, right before uh, everything, like as far as like when uh, SCG started to kick kick Legacy into high gear. 
uh, so to speak. And I've been playing the format pretty much nonstop ever since. Uh, I've watched the format. I've watched the likes of Mental Misstep come in and dominate the format and get banned. Um, I've watched all sorts of other other decks uh, come and go. Um, and I've actually been playing Eldrazi pretty much nonstop since uh, Eldrazi Winter, actually, when the deck was still in its in, in its heyday in Modern. Um, and it started out as sort of like a, a cute little cute little project, but it ended up being that evolving and Eldrazi. Good. <laughs> oh, and you talked about how, how you felt about the format. You think it's amazing. Is it currently just a mixture of a bunch of viable decks, sort of like modern? How, how do you view uh, Legacy right now? So there are a lot of people that think that Deathrite Shaman is is unhealthy for the format and it, it needs to be banned. Um, I, I personally disagree. I think that Deathrite Shaman is, while yes, it's a very powerful card, and if we had to ban a card in Legacy, it would probably be Deathrite Shaman. Uh, I think the format is is healthy. It's it's interactive. Um, it's diverse. You can you can do pretty much whatever you want, and so long as you uh, so long as you know your deck and know how to approach the metagame, uh, you're going to be able to do well. Uh, like Caleb Scherer top aided uh, the DC Open with Storm, um, and people were complaining about how uh, Legacy is it's all these fair decks, and here comes Caleb Scherer, who's been playing Storm for for years now. And he basically proved that Legacy always has been and will continue to be a, a know your deck type of format. Hmm. So what about you then? When when you head into Eternal Weekend, like did you make any tweaks uh, for your a specific like metagame? Was it metagame specific tweaks, or did you go in with a pretty stockish list that that you've been jamming for a while? So. The the list I started off with um, was relatively close to stock. Um, about six-ish months ago, True Name Nemesis was on the rise. Um, True Name Nemesis is a problem for Eldrazi. Uh, only Reality Smasher can really deal with it. So I had moved All's Dust, which was in my sideboard last week. And that had been in the main deck for about six months. But this week, uh, I decided that the, the, the checkpile decks and the, the Delver decks were going to be a little bit more prevalent. And those decks, while they don't necessarily care, while you don't necessarily want All's Dust as much against those decks, you definitely want Warping Whale. So I had used to have two Warping Whales in the sideboard in one main deck. Uh, what basically ended up happening was the, the All's Dust got cut to the sideboard and we maxed out on Warping Whales in the main. Um, and from from the metagame breakdown, uh, looks like that uh, that guess paid off. As Checkpile and Grixis Delver were the two most popular decks uh, in that tournament. So what happened in SCG for SCG then? Um, so I started off on a on a six one uh, a six one roll. Whoa! Um, wow. Yeah. The problem was the. Uh, all, all the luck that I had had for the past the past like week and a half, two weeks, um, it basically seemed like 
on the one hand, my, my luck started to run out. Um, I was mulliganing a lot more. Um, I was running into bad matchups and just running into, you know, like bad beats. Um, I did make a couple of, uh, couple of misplays against, uh, um, in the rematch against Bugdelver. That was my second loss, uh, uh, this week. Um, but also played against Death Shadow, which I had never played against before. Um, and then after after limping into day two at six three, um, I basically like for whatever reason um, just wasn't didn't end up being mentally prepared. Um, got a couple of hard losses uh, early to uh, Sneak and Show and to Lands. Um, and then uh, lost to uh, lost to the pile, which uh, ultimately knocked me uh, out of uh, contention to uh, top eight. But you you actually started. I I thought you just fizzled out in, in the middle. I assume so. But like I, I didn't know you had the scorching hot start. Also, um, and I see like actually I didn't also didn't realize our friend our guest from last week Matthew Dilks actually finished second in the Legacy Classic the, the very next day. Or I assume so. Shouts to him for continuing to do well with lands. Um, Stuff. Anything you would do different um, moving forward for for your next big tournaments from your list from for people who, who wants to pilot it. So based on based on what um, what I had seen a lot of, uh, it seems like there are a lot more uh, back to basics and a lot more blood moons. Um, I was actually looking at a couple of lists um, before I before before we uh before we came on here and uh i saw that people are starting to uh play things like um walking ballista or uh, base sorry basic wastes was was the one thing that i'm actually going to end up trying to find a slot for one of those um both to give to give sort of a a basic to search for for the lands decks that have ghost quarter um but also for the decks that are playing Blood Moon and Back to Basics, um, as sort of a way to um, keep a colorless source uh, available at all times for things like being able to activate Endbringer or being able to cast your spells, um, something as basic as that. Um, and the other, the other big change, um, sort of looking at the, the sideboard, um, Oblivion Sower's been underperforming a bit. Um, I had already cut the Ulamog out of the sideboard this week because I hadn't seen a mirror in like two months, and that's the only card, the only deck that um, Ulamog was really ever good against. Um, so it, it, we might be giving uh, uh, another hard look at uh, Oblivion Sower going into Baltimore. Okay, uh, you had mentioned that uh, to check out the, the list at top four. You, you didn't, you didn't like that list. You thought you felt that specific El Jazi list had issues. Yeah. So the biggest issue is walking ballista. Um, I personally have never been a fan of that card in El Jazi. Um, like in in El Jazi Tron in modern, that card's fine because you have access to to the Tron lands, um, so you can you can like run out uh, ballistas um, for for big value in that deck, but in in Legacy Eldrazi, I'm not as much of a fan because 
it doesn't play nice with Eldrazi Temple or Eye of Ugin. Um, so you'll very frequently run into spots where you'll have a Walking Ballista, and you'll only be able to cast it for one at most, and you won't won't be able to pump it ever. Um, I much prefer like if you're if you're just using that to pick off a something like a Baleful Strix or another uh, X1, I'd prefer something like Warping Whale because that card has a lot more utility uh, anyways. Um, the other issue, there was... Um, I wasn't as big a fan of the mana base. Um, not to say that it was strictly wrong, but um, the, 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 the mana base uh, that I'm currently on is sort of it's taken some time to, to get to, to where it's at um, and having having things like two city of traders feels like it's a little bit too low especially uh, in the walking ballista list um, having uh, four wastelands um, the problem is is wasteland you're not playing wasteland for value all the time in that deck like you are in the likes of delver you're usually playing that for effect. Uh, to try and deal with things like Tabernacle or opposing uh, Maze of If or even just um, opposing like uh, Creature Lands like Mistress Factory in the Mirror Match or like so you're you're playing it to to deal with utility lands. You're not necessarily dealing uh, trying to uh, mana screw a Delver opponent because honestly that's just that's just fighting them on the same angle that they're fighting you. Um, and you're honestly at that point just better off playing bigger creatures and and uh, and killing them that way. Uh, you mentioned Baltimore. When is that? Is that an SCG? That's yeah. That's the the team constructed open. Um, oh yeah, all right. In November. Uh, We're still you all, team, by the way. You're all playing a different format. Is that the? the yeah. Different? So it's it's standard modern legacy. Um, like like some um. Like some GP in in Toronto at some point next year, um, it'll be the exact same format as that. Um, so All right, that, that's going to be sweet. Um, still looking for a team, but uh, wait, top eight com- like finalists even like Seth Box looking for a team. Come on, <laughs> let's get him a team. <laughs> uh, Seth, what what do you expect um, heading? What are like? I know it's diverse the meta game, but what would you expect when it comes to the meta gaming moving forward like in Baltimore? What do you what are like name me like the top three decks that you that you expect to see? So, on the SCG tour and like in the Northeast, Mid Atlantic, um, you see a lot of you see a lot of lands. You see a lot of um, Delver. You see a lot of right now people are playing the pile a lot. Um, there are always like a few people who are playing their pet decks because they've been playing their pet decks for goodness knows how long. Caleb Scherer, if he's going to be playing Legacy of that Open, will probably be on Storm again. Um, but the um, sort of the the format, most people will probably be on things like uh, Delver Checkpile and uh, a fair bit of lands. Okay, shoutouts again, Matthew Dilks. <laughs> Vince, you have a question uh, for Seth? Yeah, so. In terms of like the best way to attack this deck is is it just basically going after the mana base? Is that like really the most efficient way to try to beat your archetype? And like, are there kind of reasonable adjustments you can make other than adding the wastes to kind of combat that? Um. So yeah, the the biggest the biggest issue is the mana base. Um, it's a, a deck where 
because because all, all of your lands, well, half of them anyways, are tapping for two mana. Um, it makes um, when people are playing Wasteland, Richardson Port, and Ghost Quarter, it makes those cards twice as good because they only have to use one of their Wastelands to, to cut two mana off. Um, also, things like Blood Moon Effects, because you're so dependent on on being able to uh, make colorless mana, um, when somebody's playing a Blood Moon to, to lock you into playing Mono Red, that's uh, a bit of a problem. Um, and the the other issue that Color Saldrazi tends to run into is um, the sideboard. Your sideboard options to deal with all of to deal with those types of hate uh, get to be a pretty limited. Uh, Ratchet Bomb has to do a lot of work. Uh, fortunately, all of the cards that are really good against you all happen to cost three mana. So um, it makes makes the decision of oh what what's Ratchet Bomb going to uh, it makes that a lot easier because oh hey. Blood Moon costs three. Back to Basics costs three. Ensnaring Bridge costs three. True Name Nemesis costs three. Um, so anybody who's trying to say, here, here, Eldrazi, you don't get to play your game. One Ratchet Bomb gets to deal with all of them. Um, so that's that's sort of how we um, try to battle back. Makes sense. That's neat. I like that. Ratchet Bomb in three. Deals with everything. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Seth. Did we miss anything that, that you wanna? Is there anything you wanna mention or plug? Um, I suppose. Uh, I suppose, like like we said, shout out shout out to Dilks uh, for being a good sport uh, two weeks ago, <laughs> and also for uh, making the finals of uh, the classic in DC. Um, good for him. All right, shout out to him again. Um, you can find Seth. I, I always find him. Uh, a bunch of tournaments that I'm either playing at or helping and organizing. Awesome dude, I'm sure. Um, super easy to approach, at least in my opinion. <laughs> and uh, we're going to see you hopefully get a sweet, be on the sweet team at SCG Baltimore, Seth. Yeah. So uh, best of luck, and, and thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on. Uh, my pleasure, my pleasure. And uh, that was Seth Black, who uh, top eight Eternal Weekend Legacy. And was actually off to a scorching hot start for, for the SCG. Um, but he didn't talk about, uh, which brings me to great seg to the question when we talked about the GP, the team trios constructed. Toronto gets one in, uh, from the 18th to 20 May 2018 uh, when it was first announced that it wasn't a constructed tournament where it was like standard and you all like share the standard uh, format pool. It was instead one player plays standard, one player plays modern, one player plays legacy. Vince, did you care either way? Well, I'll be entirely honest, no, because <laughs> I saw the words constructed and I was like, well, it's not a GP for me, but um, like kind of removing my own personal bias, I think this is really cool. I think this is, it's much better than other types of team constructed formats, which I think like, like that whole unified thing I don't really like. Um, this, is, this is a great way to also bring people together that you might not otherwise bring together and that's always good community building for for magic right like having a guy who's a legacy specialist that you might not see at your lgs because he's only there for legacy tournaments and you're a standard player and you kind of reach out you get to know different people um also it just helps people that might not you know have a good group of people but be really good at one format find people to work with so from that perspective i think it's really cool 
also, I think just more tournaments where legacy is being highlighted is awesome. I think it's a format that doesn't get a lot of... It used to, anyway, with SCG, but I feel like it, it didn't get a lot of official sort of coverage, and it's nice to see it starting to show up more. So, yeah, it's all good to me. I like it. Hey, Brian, are you indifferent to the whole unified versus triple format? I guess I would prefer triple format. It's just like we've done unified. It's something different. Um, you know, exposure of a bunch of different formats. Um, kind of cool to see where top teams' heads are at in each format. I just think it's a lot more information, and more information is always good. As far as the play experience, probably like as far as a good team experience, limited is always going to be king just because it's different. Um, it's, it's an entirely different skill set, whereas you're just playing modern legacy constructed as opposed to a new format, which team limited absolutely is as compared to regular limited. Um, but definitely this is the preferred format for constructed team tournaments. I, I would always go with this. I, I'm really excited because I had mentioned last episode, I believe it was last episode that I'm really want to see more team trios. Uh, and I'm glad that there's at least to my knowledge uh, so far they've announced four uh, one in Santa Clara, one Madrid, one Kyoto, one in Toronto, just because hopefully, like in Limited, we see some of the same teams do really well so that there is some narrative built around like how dominant a team is because that's usually what's super attractive to me from from a fan, just to be able to say, oh my god, like this team's awesome and to be able to follow them from tournament to tournament to see how they're doing. And really glad to see that. And, and for the PT, at least uh, today, Pro Tour uh, team series, all the teams, 37 teams were announced on the mothership, First Strike being one of them. Shout out to First Strike, uh, among other teams like Face Face Games, etc. cetera. Uh, that was really cool to see. But to me, again, it, it is still a little weird because I know uh, personally for a fact that a lot of members on certain teams are just there and they're not actively working with the team. And I know for others, it doesn't matter, whatever. But I think as a spectator, I sort of enjoy just knowing that the team is just like focusing on itself and improving itself. And they're not just not there for the team player points, just like, so that's why I love the team trios format. It's actually really like league of legends where the whole team's there and the whole team's working towards the same goal to win, not just a guy. I don't know if that bothers you at all, Brian. I think I was alone when I, when I mentioned this uh, last episode, what are your thoughts on what I just said? Yeah, it's not, a, it's not really a true team series when it's working in that fashion, right? So I get your frustration. Um, it's hard, though. I mean, especially with kind of the lower tier teams where you don't know everyone's qualified. That's really the big problem is that you have teams where not everyone's qualified. And that's good because you don't want to lock people out of the experience. Um, but really, the only way these teams are going to have any kind of gel to them uh, are in circumstances where you know someone's going to be there for every single Pro Tour. So those are... Those are just already established players. They probably already have their conventions and their ways of testing and don't want to mess with it. So it's going to be tough for like an organic team to come up out of this process. It'll happen eventually, but there needs to be some kind of momentum to it, some inertia. Um, and it's not there yet. It's still a young program. So, Yeah, I think like I, I think there's a lot of kinks that need to be ironed out. And I think you, you touched on a really good point, Car, when you were talking about like how the teams that exist now, it doesn't really feel like a team event or a team series because 
all of the events that they're playing in are individual, whereas this is an actual team trio, so you're seeing people play as a team. But I think one of the things they could do is start changing the structure of a lot of, or adding tournaments even. I mean, Magic players love tournaments, right? Adding things that kind of reinforce that narrative of a team mattering. Like, even if they just had, let's say they made a cutoff for teams. I don't know how they would do this, so this is clearly hypothetical. But maybe like a 36-team single-limb tournament where you just had like six on six and it was just like you moved up the ladder. Like that would be interesting to watch. And that way you're actually, you care about the team itself rather than these are just six random people that are wearing a shirt together that looks the same. Right? So, I mean, there's a lot of things they can do, but like Brian said, this is like what month 12, month 13 of them doing this. So they definitely have a lot of room to improve, but I'm, I'm optimistic. Hopefully it'll work out. Yeah, and the audience is already confused anyways. They're like, oh, why is there only one CFB now? Did they break up? What happened? Uh, why is the face-to-face games team not all Canadian? It's as if, I mean, the analogy is like, well, the Habs are not a good analogy because they actively do try to get French-Canadian players, coaches, or general managers on the team. But it would be the same thing as like the Maple Leafs being filled with just Canadians and not Swedish players and stuff like that. So that's just not how it works, you know, face-to-face just happens to be located in Canada, but doesn't mean they have to sponsor a completely local team. Just like, and the local team itself, that appro- like all these teams that approach for sponsorship, it's not like they necessarily came together because they live close to each other, right? They're like either friends from a long time ago or like, hey, if me and Brian were to form a team, we don't live close to each other at all. So uh, that's that. Um, moving on to Modern, uh, the game podcast has done, two, if you're into competitive, Formats right now, obviously, I, it's the number one podcast. But these past two episodes, uh, the previous one was just an entire show on Teamer Energy. So if you're interested in doing well in standard, that's a must listen. And just recently, they did an entire episode on Modern. And I've gone through half of it. And again, it's killer stuff. Uh, Shouts to you, Brian. Good job. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. All credit to Jerry, as always. I'm just some random guy who we brought along with him for some reason. So... <laughs> So for anyone who wanted to get the entire lowdown on Modern, go check out the game podcast, the main podcast that I recommend, I th- like at least the top three podcasts uh, to listen to outside of First Strike. Uh, Brian, last last episode, we had just briefly mentioned that that this Modern New Looks or New Look Modern Humans deck uh, ended up taking down SCG. And here again, it wins a classic and I was wondering about your early thoughts. I mean, Doug and Rob weren't sure exactly how Manchester Rider fit in, but a lot of people in the chat said that, you know, all these hate cards just, like, slow the game plan down, and, and Manchester Rider did a lot of work on camera uh, being the source that clocks your opponent while all these other cards are just bothering your opponent's game plan. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, the deck's fantastic, and it was very clearly fantastic. It's just, like, an amazing piece of deck building. And you're right that Mantis Rider is key in that, you know, in the old Hate Bears deck, you kind of sit behind this wall and you hope you can plink and dink them out two points here, three points there, and, you know, eventually generate a little bit of card advantage and squeak the game out that way. This deck just kills you. Like, the game's over very quickly. It has access to both insanely disruptive draws and um, some really strong aggro draws. Like, the key to this deck is the mana base. I hope that's apparent. Like, the fact that you can just play the best humans across all colors... Um, what you now have access to is a mishmash of creatures which are benefiting from tribal synergies in Champion of the Parish and Mayor of Averbrook and also are the best disruptive cards in the format. 
So, I mean, that's a pretty killer combination. This is unlike, like the clear comparison is white green hate bears. This is so different from white green hate bears because it, it clocks as hard as like, like think of like green white little kid, which was a deck with a little bit of disruptive elements and some clock behind it. This deck clocks so much harder and the disruption is infinitely better just because it has this insane mana base now where it can cast literally whatever it wants. Um, this deck is not a flash in the pan. It's an evolution of modern and an important uh, planning point to go forward from. And it's an exciting when, it's, when these things happen in modern because they're rare. Like something like Lantern Control was the last big one I can think of. And then there's tweaks to archetypes. Uh, another big archetype that we talked about a lot on the game podcast was uh, Blue Red Breach, which might be positioning for a similar breakthrough if someone can get the list just right. Um, but this was this deck's already there. Like I'm sure there's tweaking to be done, some tuning to be done, but this is one of the top decks in the format already. That's just so absurd. It's so absurd that uh, the one co- copy. I think there was only. Oh no, there was a few copies. Okay. Um, I don't know how, what the percentage of the metagame was. And, and I know on the game podcast, we had talked about how, like, you don't necessarily have to, like, put in some cards against this matchup, against that matchup, if you just kill them. If you just, like, completely render the game plan uh, useless. Like, here, um, I'm looking at its sideboard. It's, you know, it doesn't really have... I'm not sure it's worried about too many things, really. And it's just... Well, no, even, even when it's worried about something, it still has the I'm going to kill you on turn four or five plan. So it's like... And it, it never deviates far from that. It never tries to play a different game plan than here's some disruption, oops, you're dead. Um, and that's kind of like... One of the things I emphasize a lot when I talk about modern is that's the key to modern. There's a huge amount of diversity. You know what beats everything? Killing your opponent on turn four. Like, there's very few decks that can compete with that. And that's why often I gravitate towards combo decks, because that's the correct thing to do in a format like that. Now there's another viable option, and, like, this is what a creature strategy should look like in modern. Like, this is how you beat down in modern. You get this a huge suite of disruptive elements while maintaining that clock speed. I feel like a lot, a lot of people want to know, uh, they've asked in the first recognition, what, what they should be starting with, uh, with the RPTQ being in two weeks. I feel like I got jammed this deck, and, and in in the game podcast, you also talked about how you know the state of graveyard hate and whether graveyard decks are, are here or not. I think we're, we're we're still safe on the you know not having to worry about it too much for the foreseeable future. Um, and uh, it's it's one 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 thing that that I did like was you guys talking about how not to next level yourselves. Like oh let's let's now be the graveyard deck because people won't have it or something like that and then overthink yourself by going level after level after level so really appreciate that stuff yeah you can take swings like that like if you don't believe you're a great player and you're like in a spot where you're concerned with getting outplayed um you know for people who are either just kind of making their inroads into the tournament scene or not quite at that you know gp winner pro tour competitor type level um or, you know, don't know the format very well, are going to their first pro tour maybe and are a little intimidated and don't think they can play on the same level as some of their competitors. I think you can still still take stabs like that. You still do something like Dredge, something like Gorio's Vengeance. Um, but I would want something, whereas I want a proactive game plan, a fast clock, I want a little bit more consistency and a little bit less glass cannon type stuff um, when I'm heading to a modern tournament. 
Um, you know, I've, I've glass cannon a few times and I'm not only disappointed with the decision from a standpoint of, I don't feel like I maximized my edge, but I also just don't enjoy the gameplay and, you know, the games where you do nothing and are staring at their rest in peace. It's just like, uh, I wish I just did something else today. So <laughs> uh, I, I think that's an important factor to consider when you're choosing your deck in modern too. <laughs> so. Do you think this archetype is the type of archetype that sort of will tweak the metagame around it and then will become slightly less powerful? Or do you think it's the type of thing that's just going to kind of continue to see a lot of success and iterate on itself and just become better? Because it kind of seems like it's going to be the latter given the amount of options the deck has and how difficult it is to really attack it effectively. There's a lot of strategic options. The clock is always going to be there. and it's hate cards are number one main deck, number two flexible. I mean, Meddling Mage has great names against the vast majority of the format. Uh, Freebooters, you know, maybe one of the better disruption spells you can possibly play once you have the rest of your deck built around the synergies. Um, and then Thalia is, is Thalia, and you're Thalia proof, which is rare. I mean, you, often when you play a deck, you have, you know, you don't give up too much to Thalia. You usually have like your Path to Exiles or whatever. Stacks like Thalia proof short of Aether Mile, which is probably not going to be a thing you have to worry about. Um, so, yeah, I think this deck is just doing some different things. Um, is it going to slow down a little bit as people target it? Sure, there's really strong cards against it. Um, I think that the current set of cards being played, this deck was very well built for. One of the things that Jerry talked about was kind of as a Death Shadow deck, how you tend to beat these small creature decks as a Kozilek's return, because it's important to pick up Manlands as well. There's a lot of threats in this deck that just survive a Kozilek's return. That's one of the reasons Mantis Rider is such an effective inclusion. Um, so, you know, you shift to Anger of the Gods, you get a few more guys that way. Um, th there's options, and those options are not really explored yet. Um, and I, I do think this deck is going to remain a player. Um, it's probably going to peak sometime in the next few weeks. You know, it'll put up a dominant performance, and then people will go like, oh, wait. Because you can see right now we're having this discussion. I guess last week you guys weren't sure exactly where this deck is at, if it was the real deal. And I think there's still a lot of that going on throughout the community right now, as there should be. That's the way a new modern deck works. Um, it kind of has to prove itself. But this is one that I spotted and was just like, yep, this deck's real. And it's another really nice piece of deck building. And I love, that's my favorite part of modern, is when a deck like this shows up, and you're just like, wow, this guy nailed it. <laughs> yeah, because this isn't like changing a few cards from another deck. This is like ground up a completely new deck. Like, and I think that's the first mistake people are making in evaluating this is like, oh, it's a humans deck. Humans has been around. And even like the five color humans deck was kind of a new thing. It, it's definitely newer on the list of modern decks, but this is not that deck. This is an entirely new deck and, and something very special. Sweet. I, I, I think. I think for the local, even a vast majority of the local scene might not be catching on yet. So if some of you are jamming this in an important tournament soon, I think you might have a significant edge. Um, actually, while, while, we bring it, while I bring on our, our other guest, Vince, why don't you let our listeners know what you've been uh, busy with? Sure. I wasn't going to immediately, but that's totally fine. I'm down. Um, so the last few weeks, I haven't been able to... Uh, come on the podcast and chat mostly because I've been working on opening up my own store, which has been 
quite the experience over the last few months. I, I mean, I started planning this in about February or March of this year. Um, spent about six months trying to find the right place. Um, ended up seeing a really awesome place in October at the beginning of the month and signed the papers and got to work. So I've been um, at the store basically every day trying to get it to a point where I can get the doors open. Um, I'm really excited to be bringing it to uh, to Hamilton. I think Hamilton's a really awesome community. Got a lot of really good people there, really great magic community, really good board game community. So um, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, there's going to be a lot more information next week once I have you know, the website set up, my Facebook page, a whole bunch of other little campaigns I got going on. Um, so expect to see more information soon. You might have seen me wearing one of the shirts on podcast i think i wore a waypoint shirt once or twice name of the store is waypoint games um yeah you'll be hearing a lot more about it soon i promise but i've been super busy trying to get it at least to a point where there's paint on the walls and there's tables in the store so yeah it's very exciting very exciting but more more next week i'll say that (laughs) so (laughs) waypoint games uh sweet name sweet name and uh, looking forward to that in hamilton uh Right beside Mac in, in Dundas. It's kind of like Hamilton adjacent, but technically still Hamilton. Uh, close to McMaster University. Really nice little area in, in, uh, in the greater Hamilton area. I'm very excited to be there. I can't wait to sleep on the floor of your store next time I come to Toronto. Yes. I'm very excited at the next GP. I'm just going to sleep and like cover myself in booster packs. It'll <laughs> be perfect. I'll probably start doing episodes from the store. Like That'll be the new... The new niche thing I'll be doing, so that'll be fun too. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Uh, I'm obviously down to stay at the same place or sleep on Rob's uh, couch again in his basement. It's comfortable. It, comfortable. I fell, couch. I fell asleep right away, um, even though he has two crazy dogs. So, um, for a final topic, we uh, I had mentioned the, the Daniel Fournier article on my website, madamprime.com, men and magic building community with like over 170-ish comments that uh, I just have stopped keeping track. I've stopped reading. Uh, but it's, it's spurred a lot of talk uh, on Twitter and everywhere in every community. And uh, we've got a returning guest, Chantal Campbell, in the house, house to talk about the article. I'm hearing some echo. <laughs> and well, how's it going, Chantal? I'm good. Very, very good. Super excited to be here um, right. to rant women in magic again. <laughs> um, I, I, it's uh, the article was man. It was lots of pro players and known uh, celebrities of the, the game decided to, to give their opinion on Twitter. And I just find it interesting that one of the criticisms of, of articles like this and, and the, articles in the past where they were usually written by a guy and, and um, they're often like, oh, why, why are you representing women? And now we have a woman to be able to take us uh, through her perspective of, of things. So really happy to have you on, Chantal. Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, to your point, I think it's really important for men to act as allies in the community. And I think that's a lot of what Daniel was touching on in his article. Um, I feel like it takes people in positions of power reaching down to people who aren't in positions of power to and offering their hands to like help them step up to equality and I feel like that's what Daniel was trying to do. 
Uh, Vince, what was your, your initial reaction to uh, Daniel's article? I mean, it was positive. I mean, I read it and I was like, okay, this is an article that has been written before in, in different words. Um, it's unfortunate that it's an article that needs to be written again, but it's, it has to be. And that's the reality. It's not like it's, it's not like Dan was writing this because he's like, I'm bored. I'm going to write an article that's already been written about the fact that people need to stop being like kind of uncourteous and for lack of a better word, shitty people, right? Like this is not being written for no reason. It's a, it's a real problem. Um, there's a lot of, you know, evidence that's out there, anecdotal, maybe, but it's still evidence nonetheless that this is a problem and it needs to be managed. And I think there's nothing wrong with repeating this story if if it's going to start changing people's behavior. And I think that's kind of where I was after reading it. I, it didn't really resonate with me as like a super, like, you know, controversial or aggressively written article. It just kind of you know, it was just an article, don't be an asshole, be courteous. And that, to me, made sense. There was one comment that he made in it that was something along the lines of, I think the best metric for defining if we're doing a good job as, you know, being inclusive is seeing more women on the Pro Tour. And the number of women on the Pro Tour being, you know, the statistic to use as a way to sort of like a yardstick to figure out if we're doing a good job. And I think that that's problematic for a lot of reasons. But otherwise, the article still is sending a very clear, positive message about trying to promote general good behavior among everyone. And I, I think that was the main premise of the article. Then what happened was Twitter exploded about the comment Dan made about the Pro Tour and just like latched onto that problem. And that to me was just like, very confusing and it just felt so misguided and it just completely detracted from what the original premise of the article was about. And I felt like it just, it just felt so odd that that was where the magic community wanted to kind of stake their claim. Like you're, you're really going to go after this article because the author made an opinion about what they felt like would be a good metric for seeing equality and magic like that wasn't the premise of the article the article was talking about things we can do to try to promote women feeling comfortable in all aspects of magic local game stores competitive magic wherever but everyone just went after this one opinion that dan had and it just felt so so weird like this is like not a perfect analogy but it would be like someone telling you like I donated money to a cause and I used Red Cross to do it. And it was a relief effort. And then someone just going off on you for using Red Cross because Red Cross isn't the best way to donate money. And there's so many other options that are better. And you're just like, why are you like, you might be right. and You, you may have a point, but you're kind of an asshole for doing it. And you're taking away what I'm trying to do here, which is make a positive difference. And that, and that really bugged me, to be honest, that, that threw me for a loop and it kind of, was just like it's just such a weird and negative way to to uh come at the issue that 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 really threw me off i agree completely i um i think to the pro tour point i think the pro tour as a metric is okay when it's viewed as one of many metrics because and i mentioned this uh on twitter i spent a lot of time arguing on twitter over the weekend um i think that as a competitive player, you have to ascend through a lot of levels of harassment to get to the pro tour from their like first LGS experience with dudes being like, Oh, a grill and like shitty anime girl play mats to like 
having to prove yourself over and over again in PPTQs and RPTQs and to like feature matches where you know that Twitch chat is just going to be this nightmare cesspool. Like to go through all of that, I think really, if you're able to do all of that, you're like really proving, like proving that you're able to get there. I've lost my train of thought. Yeah. I just like, I think it needs to be viewed with other metrics like we are seeing more casters and more public figures but i don't know like i think it needs to be viewed as a whole um yeah i think to... sorry, sorry. as i say to the twitter pros latching on to the pro tour as a metric i completely agree i like just was astounded by the number of pros who would talk about the pro tourism metric being the thing that they want to pull from this article. And I'm like, you have this huge reach. You could reach thousands, if not like tens of thousands of people to be like, hey, let's work together to make magic not such a shitty community. And instead, this is what you're talking about? Like, really? Yeah, exactly. That was the thing that, and now look at us, like, we're talking about this article rather than talking about what we could be doing as a community. We have to talk about the fact that people were just responding to this completely irrelevant minor detail point in the article. And that's, that was the part that I'm like, and you made, you made the perfect point. They have a platform. They have a following. They have especially, and I'm not, I'm not going to name names, but especially the person who was most aggressively like anti Dan's article. I imagine the people that are following him, not to make a judgment call, are probably people that would benefit from hearing him say something like, maybe we could make a difference. Maybe we should try to be a little bit more courteous at the LGS level. Um, but the other thing I wanted to say, just to touch on the, the point about the Pro Tour being the metric, I think, and I think this was actually written in the counter article. I'll say the name because it's, it, this is a public article. It was by Matt Sperling. Um, I think he mentioned something about the fact that there would be a, d a delay in terms of let's say at point right now, everyone was completely inclusive. If you even want to use that as a term and there was no sort of community barriers for women playing magic today, you still would not see a, a sort of the amount, the, an, an equivalent amount of women at the pro tour level, just because of the amount of time it takes from ground zero to the point of being a pro to just get the skills you need to get to that point. Like I've been playing magic for 10 years. I'm not even close to being good enough. And I haven't had these issues. Right. So it's not, no, I, it's not the kind of thing that you would expect to see, you know, within 12 months of, of the community becoming more inclusive. So I think that was one of the major reasons when I read that I'm like, well, that's not really the best tool to use, but yeah, it's definitely one you want to be looking at. It's definitely one that can help you come to a better answer. And I think, it's really important to not look at, at just statistics and listen to people like people's stories matter. It's not just like, Oh, that's one example that of, you know, there's so many people and there's so many, you know, different LGSs and so many players that you can't look at one story, but that's, that's what we have to work with. If these stories are being told and if there are people saying they felt uncomfortable at every level of the magic community, whether it's LGS, whether it's at a GP, whether it's at a PTQ, those matter and they're real. Like you can't just discount them because it's not rolled up into some fun statistic for you to analyze, right? And that's uh, that's where I think there's a lot of sort of valuable information to glean is from listening to people's stories and listening to their experiences and trying to sort of expand your perspective on the issue that way. Yeah, I think a lot of anal more analytically minded pros get caught up in hard data, but I do think that 
if you try to capture this in hard data, like it's going to be biased. It's going to be biased no matter what you do. Um, and when it's like every woman magic playing friend I have has stories, like we share stories, you it's it's ubiquitous. Um, I feel like that transcends being anecdotal. Exactly. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, that's now no longer just a story. I completely agree with you. The other weird thing was a lot of sort of the, the topic of conversation skewed from being about, again, the proactive kind of pragmatic solution of let's try to be a better community to talking about things like, you know, gender differences and competitiveness and, and biological differences between men and women and that men are more likely to be competitive. And that's one of the reasons why there's more men on the pro tour or, you know, it, it's just like, even if let's just hypothetically say everything about that is true men are more competitive than women, which first of all is completely up to debate. It's not definitely not something that's factual. Even if all of that was true, the point is we still know that there are women who want to be playing on the pro tour who are competitive magic players that are feeling like they're not being included, that are feeling like it's a struggle for them to get there because of the fact that they're women. And that's regardless of all of these other generalized statistics about, you know, biological differences between men and women, this, this is a problem that's currently affecting the community. So I don't know why that conversation even ended up happening in tandem with this article. So yeah, that's I, a, I feel like it's a bit of a cop out for people to be like, Oh, women are just aren't as competitive. So I don't need to deal with this issue. But like, have you seen soccer moms at a bake sale? Like women are competitive. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, I mean, again, like there, we know there are professional female magic players. You know there are competitive female magic players. That's good enough to justify us saying women want to play magic too. They want to be good at it. Let's try to make it as inclusive at every level that at we as we can. Let's not worry about you know the latest science journal article on whether or not women's brains behave differently in competitive situations. It's completely irrelevant. I agree. Uh, Shout out! I'm, I'm curious. Uh, Megan Wolf wrote her article in the middle of 2015. We're about like over two years now, and I don't know if it was intent, probably intentionally. Daniel sort of um, updated us on the situation. The same type of paragraph structure and order, going through visibility and girlfriendication. Just wanted your your take from your perspective. Uh, Dan said there has been some progress made in in, in the visibility department. But a lot still more has to be done. Uh, from your perspective, has has some th- stuff been done over the last two years that that you felt they've done a good job on? People have done a good job on. I think so. I'm like super happy with like coverage. Huge improvements. Maria's on there. Maria and Melissa did coverage together, which was amazing because like I feel like coverage you often view the woman as tokenistic and they just like threw that out the window. It's great. Um, we're seeing more podcasts with women, uh, Magic the Amateuring, um, Married to the Game, and in that time also the Girlfriend Bracket ran, um, which are just like huge steps forward for women in Magic. I think there are a lot of women working to be more visible and provide visibility for other aspiring women magic players. And, and like when I read the girlfriend occasion part, I think I have to admit like that I'm, I have done possibly the same thing. Um, Oh, that's Alexander Haynes' girlfriend is what uh, his example. But I don't know if it's because of that or just because I know Alex is more Alex is more known in the community. 
I was talking to Vince in pre-show that if I tend to do that, it's, it's probably because the guy is more known in the community. Um, is that in those situations is that bad? <laughs> I don't know. I, I still run into situations like not around here because I'm pretty well known around here, but like if I go and play somewhere else or it's like, Oh, are you just here with your boyfriend? And Sarah Zyla uh, who is Alexander Sane's girlfriend, um, had a tweet today being like, the guy at the airport checkout like saw her deck box and was like, oh, is this your boyfriend? Wow. Just like, what? Yeah, so I think it's still, it's still a thing. Yeah, to, to me, I just remember um, when Melissa DeToro had, had a boyfriend, I knew him, I would say, oh, that's Melissa's boyfriend. So for me, I would always use like whoever I knew more and then... Just that's how I, I associate. Um, that's my plan going forward. I'll be like, oh, Alexander Haynes, that's Sarah's boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I think, hey, she's arguably she's been doing better at the oh, GP level. Crushing. So she's been she's crushing it and she's starting a new podcast with you on it, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, Sarah, Zyla, um, Teresa Foe, Pro Tour competitor, and Autumn Burchett, who is the English National Championship, are starting a competitive Women in Magic podcast. Um, hopefully this week, maybe next week. We're still figuring out hosting issues, but um, I'm super stoked. <laughs> uh, any, any details you know if it's going to be, or is it still really early? Like what weekly or what are you looking at? Uh, we're hoping weekly, maybe biweekly, uh, as our schedules are like, Trying to cast with someone in England is like, it's, it's going to be an adventure, um, but we're sorting it out. Yeah, I'm hoping weekly, and then it's just going to be like a bit of a delve into like what we're doing competitively, like what formats we're focusing on, as well as our experiences like in magic and in life. So I'm super, super excited. I was super excited when I heard that. I heard it from, actually, Alex was talking to me about it over coffee last Friday. And you mentioned about this project. Then I saw the tweet. So I'm super excited to hear about this all-girl podcast is coming out uh, in the next month or so. So uh, our listeners should definitely check that out along. Like, that's the other podcast I'll recommend outside of the game podcast that uh, <laughs> my boy Brian is on. Uh, Brian, any thoughts about uh, this controversy? Uh, because I think the last controversial episode... <laughs> the only big one on first strike was because of you talking about security and magic tournaments. So curious, uh, do you know your thoughts on women in magic? Quick thoughts. No, I, I honestly don't have a lot to say. I'm happy Chantel came on to talk about it. Cause who, who cares what I have to say? Like <laughs> I'm a straight white guy. I have the easiest path possible. It's nice to have someone who has direct experience with this um, and is directly impacted by the issues at hand to talk about it. So. I'm shutting up. If you have questions, send them to Chantel because she's going to add a lot more to this discussion than I will. All right. Um, Chantel, have you been playing any modern set? Any big thing uh, coming up for you? I got an RPTQ in a couple weeks. Might try out humans. <laughs> I hear it's good. <laughs> <laughs> Brian assures you that it's good. <laughs> I've been testing out Valica. I don't know if it's really where I want to be right now because it's being pretty heavily hated in the format, but it's, I still think modern is a, a knowing your deck is more rewarding than trying to pick up something new and pilot it. So we'll see, maybe humans. Um, and then the modern face to face next week in Alberta is an open plus 5K. 
I am very, very excited. All right. Thanks for doing my job. I love it. <laughs> I'm doing it better than me. Um, <laughs> as someone who I, I play basketball, and you were known for it uh, when you first had your, your huge results, um, how has that archetype progressed? Uh, have you, or have you been playing your version, or have you mixed in like the Hour of Promises and stuff like that, and messed around with the different versions to, to decide what you prefer? Right now, I'm testing a super streamlined red green, kind of all in a couple of prismatic omens, some Hour of Promises build, still with uh, Simeon Spirit Guide, still with Breach, kind of just dedicated to getting to that turn three breach as pa- fast as possible. And then being able to like run those chalices out from the board and get them down for one on turn one. Um, but there are some lists doing some interesting things. Um, Madcap experiments out of the board is something that I'm going to be looking into that's been popping up online. Um, and yeah, just, just trying to see what works. Throwing spaghetti at the wall. Is that still trying to get Platinum Imperion into play or something else? Yeah. Yeah. yeah you'd like take out your graveyard hate slots from the board and then you run madcap experiments and platinum Imperians after they board out all of their like random spot removal. Hmm. I mean, I remember that plan when Mendoza tried to play in, during the 18 years with uh, his red green, like land destruction deck. So what, what problems have you encountered with the deck that makes you maybe not want to play it? Uh, largely death shadow is not a good matchup. Um, if I'm expecting a lot of Death Shadow at the RPTQ, which I like, I, I think there'll be a fair amount because you have some more, more dedicated players. Um, I don't know if this is where I want to be because uh, it folds pretty easily to hand disruption. And yeah, the faster clocking control decks like Blue Red Breach and the new Kiki Jiki variant, um, they can sometimes just counter you out of the game and then resolve their stuff and win. So I don't know. I think it depends a lot on what I expect the metagame to be. Mm, all right. So yeah, I got to shout that out. The Red Deer Open Plus 5K is this weekend. And top two, you all, not only do you get like, it's 5K in prizes uh, for the tournament, but top two get invites to the SCG Invitational as, long, uh, as well as $400 each uh, towards that travel. And of course, the SCG, it's, it's this partnership with Face-to-Face Games. SCG Invitational has, like, lots more money up for grabs, and you get an invite to that, and it's a pretty uh, prestigious tournament. Uh, like, the, the amount of money that you could actually win at that tournament is pretty uh, surprising. So definitely worth it to try to finish in the top two, and hopefully we'll see you up there, Chantal. Will you need any BOSU coaching, though? Oh, that's a very good question. Oh. We'll see if I need any at Bosu coaching. <laughs> <laughs> at Bosu coaching. He'll, he'll be there this Saturday at the Red Deer Open Plus. Uh, huge uh, shouts to him, and we're always plugging him and his services. And apparently, today at work, he mentioned that he would be the manager of the First Strike team, or at least try to be. So, Chantal, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show to talk about uh, everything uh, that, that's been in uh, in your plans right now so super excited to, to have you on excited again to check out your podcast so what's it what's it called once again uh it's proven combatants um we thought it was a cute play on words of a magic card um and you can follow us on twitter at combatants mtg okay. um for all of our updates as soon as we know our future plans you will you will know there 
Okay, that, so definitely go to that uh, page because uh, that Twitter site is definitely everyone has trouble sometimes finding it on iTunes or whatever. So if that's a go-to source. Go to make sure you follow at Combatants MTG. So with that, th- thanks a lot, Chantal. See you soon. Thank you so much. Chantal Campbell, future or current Canadian superstar in Alberta. So I hope she crushes in Red Deer. So that was a lot. And I think we, we saw the, the passion uh, in your voice and in your language. Just talking can, about I make, can I actually make one small point? <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not trying to go after Brian here because I totally respect what he, the way he, you know, like your, the way you wanted to respond to the issue. And it's totally reasonable. But I think, um, and again, I'm not trying to put any words in your mouth. But I think if you're someone who cares about trying to keep the community as, you know, promoting that kind of behavior and and you want to keep the community as fair and equal as possible, whether or not you necessarily identify or belong to a group that's being marginalized, you still are a part of the community that is doing the marginalization. And I think that might not justify you to say anything on the topic, but I still think it precludes you to have the right to say, you know, I'm not comfortable with how our community is handling this issue, or I would like to see change on how our community is handling this issue. But again, I totally also understand the fact that people feel like, and it's right, people, women should be promoted and and like the way we just did and the way, you know, this podcast, which sounds awesome. Like this is the kind of stuff that needs to be happening as well. So I, I totally get where you're coming from, but I just think that, you know, it also helps to have people that aren't necessarily part of that group come out and say, you know, this is something I want to champion. No. And on, honestly, I'm, I am happy to say that at virtually any point in time. And I've been very open with the fact that I thought the response that Daniel got was disgusting. I thought the magic community needed to have his back. Obviously he also targeted a kind of horrible sect of the internet that came out in force to kind of torment him. And, um, it, it was, it's terrible. Our community has so far to come with these issues. I just, in the circumstance where Chantel is here and yeah. I'm yeah. going to be on this show all the time, I can always <laughs> tell you how I feel about this. I've told you how I feel about this in the past. Yeah. I don't want to take away from her opportunity to share her story, which I think That's has more true. value than mine. But Trust me, I am willing, very willing to stand um, anytime I see any kind of, you know, uncomfortable situation for another player or a community that's not being as inclusive yeah, as it possibly yeah. can. I, nothing tilts me more. And I, I think that now that I'm willing to say my piece on this, I, I think one of the things we have to keep in sight and I want to say be respectful of because there's no place for like these abhorrent stances and these horrible um, arguments that some people choose to take against inclusion. But I don't ever want to lose sight of the capacity for change. I was talking with someone the other day and I I don't remember the context which just came up, but I, I thought to myself how horrible it must be to not have the capacity for change. Like to think that I would be the same person that I was five years ago or 10 years ago, that that's horrible to me. Like I, I am glad I'm not that person anymore. I've done things in my past, which I'm not proud of. And, and I have, you know, I, this is the example we talk about all the time amongst, um, you know, because I, I work in a very liberal environment and one that's very much committed to these ideas. And we talk about how kind of everyone has that moment where they realize you 
can't say the F word anymore. And, and I don't mean the F word that I would happily say right now. I mean the one directed at a certain class of people that uh, quantifies their sexual status. I, I don't use that word anymore because I don't like it. I find it generally offensive. And it's like, all it took was me having one gay friend to be like, this is a word that I don't want in my mouth anymore. But there was a point in my life where that was my go-to insult. And I, I'm ashamed of it now, but like, honestly, the process of going through that growth is very important to me. And I think that along those same lines with these issues, there's a lot of magic players who have to go through a process of growth. I believe they can go through that process of growth. A lot of it comes with age. A lot of it comes with maturity. A lot of it comes with just being exposed to the, the people who are being victimized by uninclusive language and, you know, unwelcoming environments. It's just like a time thing. They need to experience it themselves. And I wish we could snap our fingers and get to a good place right now. It's going to take time. But I don't want to lose the capacity. I don't ever want to give up and be like, oh, those, these people are hopeless. They can't be changed. It's not worth talking to them because then it's over. And, and people can change. I think all of us have changed throughout our lives to get to kind of a better place. And I don't want to back away from that process. So, so that's what I'm going to say about that. It's very easy to just want to distance yourself from people who are kind of taking these stances. But I, I do think we have to stay vigilant and you know, stay on making the community more inclusive. And that's why something like this that you know, seems to come to fruition every few months is I always celebrate it. It's a great thing. I, I do think there was some execution issues in Daniel's article. I, I don't think they were important at the time. And it was disappointing to see people raise them at that point, at a time when he was being beaten down by a really horrible portion of the internet. He was being insulted. He was being vilified. And to say nothing of what it does to mask the actual point of his article, I mean, that's really the main things that took the focus off the issues that were being experienced and brought them on the language instead. But also he's just a member of the community who like needed some support at that moment in time. He, he wanted people to have his back and to have other, you know, kind of high profile magic players calling him out. I didn't think they were wrong. I just thought it was not the time or the place and they were misguided exactly. in their attempts. So it was a disappointing kind of couple days surrounding the article, but I am, uh, I'm pleased with Daniel for writing it. I'm more pleased to hear Chantel's take on the article and to hear about her experiences. And I'm really pleased to hear that they're going to be forming this all women podcast. And I hope that it does more to get more of these experiences out there and also just shares their knowledge of the game. Cause I'm looking forward to listening to it. So. Yeah. If there is like any silver lining to everything that happened post Dan's articles that at least on Twitter, for my reading, there was a lot of women coming out of the woodwork and sharing their experiences as kind of like just a way to, help bolster the claim that this isn't just like an isolated issue or a small time problem. This is affecting a lot of people. Um, so yeah, that, that was kind of the nice thing to see at the end. And I, and I totally get what you're saying about, you know, giving people the opportunity when they have the platform to use it. Um, yeah. Makes sense to me, dude. <laughs> I, I've changed my, my, uh, my feelings. Uh, Vince, you've, your, your passion has, has, has got me. Um, I, I'm glad I could help. I hope, you know, Chantel also had some good points there to help, you know, bring some attention to the the issue. And again, like, I, I just think it's the kind of thing that the more people are angry about this, the more it's going to become unacceptable to kind of be indifferent or be passive or be, you know, complacent with allowing that kind of behavior to happen at, at any environment. So I think that's, and I, I think the, the point Brian made about the F word or the, the offensive gay term, 
I mean, as I went through that exact same experience as a gay man with that term. And that was like a unique experience of a change. Cause I'm like, well, I'm not offended by it. It's not fair that these people are offended by it. I'm allowed to use it. It's, but that's the thing. You just have to learn that, you know, you, what your, your language matters to other people. And it's so easy for you to just not use words around people that are offended by them. Obviously, you know, there's a level of like, there's a, a line in the sand somewhere, but this is, we're not even close to that line yet. We're not remotely close to that line in the sand where you're like, okay, we're being a little bit too aggressive with our censor yourselves. So it's just such an easy fix. And it's like, how, why are people resistant to it? I, I'm going to get angry again. So yeah, it's just, it's, I'm glad to see people sharing their experiences, people coming out and talking about, you know, this kind of stuff. And uh, hopefully we'll see some, some positive movement going forward. Like we have, like, that's the other thing too. I don't want to discredit the fact that I think there has been a lot of good progress in the last few years. But there's definitely more to be made. All right. I apologize for my language, Vince. I'm, I'm sorry. Again, <laughs> <laughs> not personally offended. It's not, but I, I mean, people are, right? So, and that's totally valid. Um, yeah, I just want to say, as someone that's like really indifferent to a lot of these issues, twofold. Like, one, because I just don't have any interest in jumping into controversial fights with anyone. And two, I just don't think I, I care and I just want to be, you know, for me, I just want to be a, my code is just to be a decent human being, but, but after the show, this talk and Vince's passion, I feel like I have to do my part. Um, I, I must say like not enough has been done and um, whether it be calling people out on, on certain things or doing my part, using my platform and and my voice to promote vis- uh, women's visibility and magic uh, is something that I'm more encouraged to do today than than ever before. So, um, yeah, that's what you've you've done, Vince and and, and Chantel. So, hopefully, I can play a part in, in helping that. And uh, with that, we'll end the show by thanking our first strike producers. Brad Vickers, J. Thomas Eaton, Matthew Kelly, Jonathan Good, Kyle Smirchik, Derek Pite, Adrian Murchison. Shouts to all of you for supporting Cast. A lot of you supporting it since the beginning of the Patreon means a lot and uh, helps the show. And really excited that we actually have our Pro Tour team and are head, headed by Doug, good old Doug Potter, uh, host of the show. And you can check out live coverage starting this Friday on twitch.tv slash magic. And in, in their article describing the team, like out of all the 37, they, they, they basically positioned us as the underdog team of the tournament. So hopefully our guys can uh, prove everyone wrong. So, That's the best narrative part. <laughs> the underdog story is literally the best narrative. Tried and true. And hopefully, I think we're the only podcast team, so uh, pretty sweet about that. Also, um, and for for uh, anything else, guys, we're good. I think so. I, I take that as good. So for Brian, Vince, just a quick double plug about there's going to be news about the the store I'm opening very soon. Okay, okay. just be- keep an open an open mind. Friends. <laughs> I promise there'll be more coming. Soon. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do a, a scheduled tweet that tweets out every six hours. It's gonna be there's gonna be news. He's running it for months. Yeah, never Wait, games is coming. Wait, <laughs> games is coming. All right, love it. Brian Vince and I will see you next Monday. Um, 
depending on the results of the PT, we'll, we'll probably get some either teams from the first strike team, uh, members from the first strike team, or members from the face-to-face games teams, or whoever that made the top eight, or, or even one we might be having on the show in the next couple of weeks. So excited about that. So thanks for supporting us as usual, and uh, we will see you next week. And hit us with a thumbs up on the YouTube channel that you're, if you're watching live right now because it helps us out a lot. So thank you guys, and see you Monday. Thank you.